Yes, this is another man-to-man podcast. I'm Tactical, and I'm here with Joe Oliver, and we're doing part two of the journey of an entrepreneur. And we're going to start off talking where we left off from in China. You becoming a CEO in China and starting a business in China with people that you couldn't even understand the the language and everything else. Uh, Could you just elaborate on that once again, if you don't mind? Um, yeah, I mean, basically heading to, uh, China was, um, I think in China, they call it, um, uh, UN Fen. Yeah. And it, um, basically means like kind of, uh, predestined, like almost like going with the flow, but in a destined way. Okay. Um, and yeah, I was, I was, um. I took the position as a general manager and started the company with two other business partners. Okay. And um, were they were they also Chinese or were they? One of them was Chinese and one of them was Canadian. Okay. Yeah, they uh, obviously the Chinese partner spoke Chinese and then the Canadian was fluent in Chinese as well. So I was oh, the only who didn't actually speak the language. Mm. In that circumstance. Okay. Did you did you end up learning the language eventually when you was out there, or was it? I you know I got to a point where I was starting to have dreams in it, and um, I could understand a fair amount of the conversations. But oh really? I found it very hard to 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 talk it. Um, mm. So and that's you know that's really because I wasn't taking formal lessons to be honest. Um, and I did try and take lessons at one point, and I just kind of got caught up in the, the, all the other stuff that had to be done as a, as a, you know, as a startup faces. Yeah. Um, but in hindsight, I should have, you know, dug in more deeply on the language. I think, and uh, there's still chance I might actually carry on learning it. Yeah. Oh really? I mean, out of you know. 100% how would you how what would you say how, the percentage of how well you know Chinese or Mandarin uh okay so I mean yeah Mandarin is a um fairly uh complex language mm. um I think they think the, the timelines if you were to do it every day you know you'd get like Spanish you'd probably be able to get the hang of it in about three months mm-hmm. um English, I think, is about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, China, I think, is about four to five years. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a completely different level of learning language. And the, the writing is pictogrammic, so it's um, characters. Each one of them is a unique word. Okay. So, And then the context of where, how they basically get put together mm. creates a new, new sentence. So... Um, you know, for instance, the um, I think the character for for crisis is danger, but also opportunity. Okay. So it's it's like something to be aware of, but then also like there's something that could happen there. So it, what what's amazing about Chinese language is it actually is used a process more in a more balanced way by both sides of the brain. Oh, all right. So it's it's feminine and masculine thinking 
or right and left brain, so to speak. Right and left brain, yeah. Mm. So, um, which is, you know, it's kind of more harmonious, actually, when you think about the kind of scope of how much your brain is using the mm. language. I see. Um, compared to, like, English, which is very heavy on the, like, you know, the kind of logical yeah. brain side. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, how did you, how did you do deals and business and, and meetings and board meetings and just, you know, I mean, you're the, you're the general manager of this company and the only one other person speaks English. Maybe other people do speak English, obviously. But, you know, mainly, how, how would you, how did you go about on a day-to-day basis and, and, and how long was you there for as well? Uh, so I lived in, I lived in uh, China for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a day-to-day, yeah, it was challenging, definitely. Um, I basically had to learn how to live without necessarily knowing the language, um, which meant I got incredibly good at reading people's uh, kind of uh, vibe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, yeah, like what's the intention of this person? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you tell whether they have, you know, and that kind of thing. Picking up, I'd say, subtle body languages, mm-hmm. sub communication. Yeah, and also you know really being paying close attention to to cultural cultural nuances um, because mm. obviously Chinese <clears throat> uh, cultural patterns are different so I got pretty good at those um, but it was challenging you know it was very challenging and also to you know admit that there was there was not only a lack of a skill in the language but you know because of the depth of Chinese history and the depth of Chinese culture you know I was really only scratching the surface um, okay. Even though by that point I'd spent you know 15 years learning Chinese martial arts, I had grown up with the more um, Eastern viewpoint than most Westerners, and mm. um, yeah, and and you know basically getting immersed in the startup scene in China, um, which covered tech and sustainability and innovation. It was very mm. cutting edge and um, I learned some pretty random words, you know, like, um, but it wasn't necessarily uh, fluent at all. And then, yeah. you know, there's a difference between conversational Chinese and business Chinese. So business Chinese is very specific. It's, it's got legal terms, etc. So even contracts written in Chinese, uh, were were more complicated than most kind of let's say even written terms or novels and stuff like that mm-hmm. did i mean you know that, that's it, how challenging you know obviously you said it was challenging but how how would you how would you how would you do it would you get someone to interpret for you would would you try and you know communicate yourself it went, went in terms of business um how, yeah. how would how would you deal with that um I had to get certain texts translated, of course. I mm. had to rely on people and trust them quite a lot, yeah. Um, yeah. especially people on my team. Um, I had to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing, which is dramatically uh, a kind of active pursuit. Yeah. I at several times really got thrown back on my ass, you know, and 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 kind of humbled by the situation mm. um, and in sometimes when you're in a quite a rural place and nobody 
speaks any English whatsoever. You know, you're you're very much on your own at that point. And um, I had that several times where it was, it was, you know, periods of 24 hours or more um, <clears throat> where absolutely no ability to translate or to communicate with local. There's also lots of different dialects in China. So you might learn Mandarin as a, as a traditional um, study. Yeah. But then you, you know, travel to somewhere like Guiling and the uh, uh, accent and the uh, colloquial dialogue is so very different. It's almost a different language. Yeah. So. No. Yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah, it just was extremely humbling. And I think that that's, that's an important thing because, you know, even despite having the other great humbling <laughs> that had happened to me prior to this in, in UK, I still had you know, um, perhaps some hubris, some arrogance, some mm. uh, existence of ego, which was uh -huh. detrimental. Uh -huh. um, and I was still trying to, you know, um, place my mark on the world. Um, but, you know, when you're faced with this level of absolute vulnerability and requiring yep. to basically lean on everyone else. Um, yeah. It really does. <laughs> it really does humble you, and that I think that was a great thing because it, it allowed this huge mix of confidence and awareness of one's kind of lack of potency and impermanence in the world. So it's a bit like saying you're brilliant, and then you go, "Well, zoom out until you zoom out and see the Earth, and zoom out till you see, you know, the universe, and then <laughs> there's the little dot that we call home, and you're somewhere <laughs> on that." And that's yeah. how important you are, you know? And mm. it's just like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And China, China's so huge. It's just a huge, huge place. It blew my mind, the scope of the cities and the size and the, you know, just everything is supersized. England's like mm. a tiny little village compared to compared to <laughs> China. Everything in England's tiny, you know? Yeah, compared, yeah. I mean, I've been to China too, and I've, I, mean, just, I was there for like a couple of hours, but it is a complete a complete difference but you know you, you know you was a kid as a kid you like martial arts and you know a lot of martial arts is based in china and everything like that and you know did your impression obviously you you just just knowing that martial arts is in china you must have had an impression as a as a, as a kid or as a teenager as you was um at, from china but when actually going there and and being there and living there and working there did your impression change? Did, did did you think, oh, that wasn't, you know, as what I thought it would be, or this isn't what I thought it would be, or would you like maybe impressed that oh, it's even better than I thought it would be? Like, how was how was your impression from before as a, as that teenager learning martial arts to 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 being there as a man? Yeah, I think there was a significant difference. The main thing was that when I went there to study Shaolin Kung Fu. Um, it was very traditional as in I went there, I studied and I ate food and I, you know, did learn a bit of language and I just generally kind of kept in very traditional forms. When I went there as an entrepreneur, I was, you know, working at the cutting edge of what it meant to be this kind of burgeoning generation of Chinese, which mm. had experienced the largest and biggest economic growth in history of any country yeah. within the last 15 years. They'd, or more, they'd they'd uh, they'd used something like 
you know, 200 times the amount of concrete that America has in the last 50 years. They used it, in, you know, in 10 years. It's just the scale of the growth and the change. Yeah. You know, it's happening so dramatic. The first time I went to Beijing, there was, you know, rivers of, of black uh, bikes that people were weaving in and out of so close, cycling a few and like two, oh, okay. three inches away. Like a, sort of imagine if... Holland has just kind of funneled every single cyclist into one path. It was like yeah. that. And there weren't streetlights. And I remember, you know, the trains having wooden seats and all kinds of um, antiquity in some ways. Mm, in the mm. And, you know, then I come and live there to work and I'm on a bullet, bullet train um, that's just set the land speed record for China. I'm you know, tallest tower in Shanghai, which is just probably the tallest thing I've ever been on. Um, mm. It's uh, a land of complete change and huge investments going on scale and things being built, that, you know, the world's best architects turn up to build their most extravagant buildings, you know, like it, it was a time of such growth and change. Right. And it's, it just came after they, what they called opened out after the Olympics, you know? Um, yeah, 2008. 2008. So I was there 2009. Mm. And it just was like as if someone had set fire to the culture. And they were wow. just like, what's going to happen, you know? And it was like there was, there was all these little fires starting, just everyone's kind of dreaming of a future which hadn't existed and yet is now there for the taking. And Amazing. everything had you know, triple zeros after it. Everything was, you know, how do we do this, the biggest, best thing? They, they had the first time in history that you have like, you know, the middle classes growing up, there's 400 million people in the middle class suddenly, wow. Wow. you know, added yeah. to the mix. There's mm. consumer demand and everyone doesn't know what it means to want to buy luxury but they all want to do it you know um mm. there started to be the the idea that you could get a passport and go and travel for holidays outside of china you know which is, is prior to that it was you know you traveled within china to go on holidays in china okay um so you, you 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 mean obviously you was there with the big boom but then you know i, I watched your your ted talks about the environment and everything do you think that Obviously, I'm not sure how the environment was. You know, I don't really know how the environment is, but you know, did you just come across it and see like this toxicity of, you know, the natural environment or the air or whatever? And, yeah, I mean, you know, China's you know, China is the manufacturing hub of the world, right? I think mm. it's just something like fifty percent of all products, which is mm. just crazy. So you know. Um, with that comes huge amount of um, you know pollution and that's the same as what happened in the industrial revolution in the uk it's the same yeah. as the fact that there are still huge reliance on fossil fuels in other countries which which you know create huge destruction there's the extractive mining that's you know taking the tops off mountains in in colombia it's just the way of growth at this time is destructive and it is polluting and that goes hand in hand um, yeah. and uh unfortunately yeah there's toxic situations in china i was working with greenpeace there and mm. 
one of the things we did was to launch their um, soil um, study. So they'd gone around China taking soil samples and quite a lot of them. And they'd, they'd done a uh, calculation that about 40% of the land in China was actually poisoned. Wow, 40%. Um, yeah, as in not, it's like agricultural land that is used, that is grown on, but isn't really, you're not meant to. So you're saying that they're growing things on poison land and does that, that does, does that then poison the food or the crops or the vegetables that they're, they're growing on it? There's a high chance that that's happening, yes. Mm. Yeah, but the main the main study was just about how soil degradation quality. Mm. So when you have lessening of quality, you end up, you know, having less land to grow food on, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Which in such a large economy means you have to start importing vast amounts of food. Mm. Yes. So the question how, is, where does that come from? Yeah. Uh, how did it? How did it happen? How did the land become so toxic? Well, it it became toxic because you know people just basically over farmed it and and used chemicals and stuff that stripped the land of its natural life mm. you know so in this country you have something called when you put the the field to fallow right so every three or four years you you basically stop using the land so you okay give it, you give it time to regenerate oh, I see. and i don't think that was happening um, you know, and it doesn't really happen in America in some cases too. And they just use um, chemicals and fertilizers to kind of boost the productivity of the land, even though the land's kind of going, oh, I need a break. Yeah. So this isn't, you know, this isn't China specific. This is just what happens when you're not using regenerative and sustainable agricultural techniques. Um, mm. And, you know, it's a massive issue because ultimately again it's like you're going to have people who need to be eating food how do you feed them right yeah and either you requisition vast tracts of lands in other countries and you pay for you know transport and production there or you you know improve the quality of your own soil it's a big thing so yeah i mean the talk i gave there was uh it got some reaction let's say um i think it's now banned what in China? Uh, yes, but mm. it's also just banned outright. So I, I've, I've I saw it the other. I think I saw it about two weeks. The first, just before we um done the first uh, podcast. So um, I don't know, but I definitely saw it. Yeah, yeah it's not on TED official channels. Oh, um, okay. And it w- won't ever be because they've they've removed it. So yeah, that that. Why, why, why did they do that? I believe they did it under request from um the chinese government mm. because it's banned in china and they said you know you can't have this elsewhere either i guess i guess they wouldn't have been too happy that um you know some some guys going around telling telling the whole world that you know the soil the soil is poisonous you that's, know but um yeah yeah, you know, mean, but, that's, the, that's the summary of it, really. Yeah. Mm, but you know, and I'm always a advocate of you know freedom of speech and and open, open, open talking, and you know, obviously, you know, there's so much censorship in the world, especially now nowadays. Um, but you know, you, with even Facebook and Instagram, you, you, you can get censored. But it, I just think you know what you what you did was you know just trying to you're just trying to help people, and I and I. I I completely disagree with censorship of you know someone trying to help better because if if they was to take on your advice maybe they will spend too much money on on maybe 
maybe they would lose money, but you know, if they did take on your advice, it'd ultimately be beneficial for them. But everyone has their own personal agendas, I guess. Yeah, I mean, freedom of speech is not something that particularly exists in China. Um, exactly. And culturally, it's a, it's a, you know, you're you're showing your cultural perspective there, you know. Mm. Um, mm. And there's a lot of countries which, from the perspective of, you know, England, France, uh, America, they they think, oh well, you know, they're very unjust countries. They don't have freedom of speech. They have human rights and stuff. Mm. Traditionally, these countries didn't. It's not yeah. in the culture. Um, yeah. And also, it's a very different opinion there, whereby they think that, you know, basically, it's not it's not fair. They don't think it's fair that one person could get up and say something and affect everyone else. They think that's kind of like that's that's where it suddenly goes wrong. And I understand it because, you know, it's more important for them to have harmony in the population than to have one person who's disrupting and going, well, this is all fucked. We need to change. And then everyone starts to riot or to fight or to, you know. So okay. there's a there's a demand there where you're where you're actually um, managing you know such vast amounts of people that mm. um, strict controls quite evidently are, are necessary. You know, I mean, the UK right now is is trying you know it's trying to do this kind of effectively re reducing all kinds of freedoms. You know, our, our freedoms have been drastically reduced ever since um, that war criminal Tony Blair went to war, right? exactly he basically he basically put us in the middle of something without any justification or legal means to do that mm. yeah and um since then um there's been an increased cracking down on uk freedoms you know we then had all this stuff about the terrorist stuff which i understand but at the same time it's been used for things that aren't necessarily terrorist terrorism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's the same circumstance now we got this policing bill and they're saying well you know, we need to be able to control people because you know there's a pandemic and it's like yeah but and uh actually also they're imposing controls which will last far longer and are permanent exactly and, and historically this... it's very rare for com for countries to roll back uh, exactly restrictive, restrictive uh, laws once they're in place even if the reason that they were put in place has now eliminated exactly yeah. but People don't seem to. Um, people, the fear, the fear is what gets these people, the, the population really, um, to agree with it or to at least you know think that it will be temporary and it will go back where, like you said, there's no history of that ever happening. Yeah, but, there's, there's always collective amnesia, you know, mm, in media in the, uh, you know, people, the proletariat, the, the voters. There's collective amnesia whenever it comes to something which is. Um, let's say it's the frog in the water situation. You know? it's, there's going to be trouble ahead, uh, but there's no trouble now. You know, it's not so bad now. You know, exactly. But, you know. I mean, yeah, it's it, that that is uh, <laughs> is a is a whole different type of scenario and subject with 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 that type of control that they're trying to implement and are implementing uh, mm. in this country, particularly. You know, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's happening in front of our eyes on a weekly basis and um, it will, the shock the shock to the system will happen but you know it'll be too late by then in my opinion um but you know i want to talk about your uh dark meditation and your and your also your your, your meditation you know live meditation that you do um firstly i want to talk about dark meditation that you've done yeah um which is mind-blowing really um 
could you just explain it? Because I, I mean, I, I understand it, but I, I can't. I don't really understand it to the point that you do. So you know, you went, you did a certain amount of days, dark meditating, which is no. Am I right in saying it's like you know, you're just in the dark for the whole time? Yeah, total darkness. And how many days did you do this for? That was five, five days. Yeah. And uh, have you done this more than once, or you've only done this the one time? No, but I want to do a lot longer, actually. <laughs> so, so what did you, what what happened? Like, just t- tell us what you know. What happened? How how, how what, what did you what, what happened when you was doing it? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, along my random journey of life, I um, started to really try and understand. Well, I do this anyway. I try and go back to the roots of why people are drawn to do things and what you know how people discover things and um if you ever look at the history of zen buddhism Mm. and um shaolin kung fu then they all come back to the same place which is uh, a guy called bodhidharma and bodhidharma was a monk who spent 20 years inside a cave wow um i've been to that cave it's it's an interesting cave i guess i mean it's really Mm. only big enough for one and he uh, just apparently stared at the wall for 20 years, you know, um, in the dark. So, <clears throat> okay, that's interesting. No. But, yeah, yeah, someone who literally changed the world. Um, then you start looking around and it turns out that nearly every history in, in the culture of the world has had um, people who go through darkness retreats or me- darkness meditation, usually in caves. That's usually how it works. So you've got it. Okay all from the Himalayas, you've got it all through Central Asia, East Asia, in all, all the caves there, you've got hermits there, you've got it in the Taoist things in China, you've got it in the yogis of India, you've got it in the Tibetan monks. You then go through the Central Asia plateaus, you go into places like Persia, and there's a history of it with the Sufis, and there's a history of the Gnostics in um, what we term now I guess, Middle East. You have a, a history of it in the Kabbalah, in uh, Jewish tradition. You have a history of it in Egypt, um, which predates some of these things. You have a history of it all the way back into Africa in the, in the, um, the rift, right? The, uh, mm-hmm. or what they call the cradle of civilization, right? Um, so why are people going into caves, right? And why are they staying there and doing this stuff? So I needed to understand this. And um, I came across a very amazing prophecy, um, which was done by the Kogi people. And the Kogi people are like this pre-Columbian, or let's say pre-colonial invasion yeah. of Colombia. These yeah. peoples lived in harmony with the earth and uh, they left almost no trace and they also had quite big civilizations living in balance with the local jungle and Mm -hmm. things and they they're not warlike so they were um gentle people so it's almost like wow sounds like a kind of paradise right so (laughs) the kogi people were really only kind of came and started to talk to westerners again something very recently 20 years ago and they did it they were completely isolated on a mountain um, not too far from a normal city, but impossible to get to. Um, and the, you know, to get there, you had to cross like 
swinging rope bridges that they could cut and they would never let anyone in. So okay. finally they opened up and we start to learn about the Kogi people. And they said, look, we've had this prophecy that if you don't stop messing with the, the, um, the world, it's going to screw everyone. And uh-huh. they'd got this and they called, they called themselves kind of older brother and little brother being like all the other people. Yeah. Um, but they got this from their mamas and mamas are like these um, teachers of their history, their, their indigenous uh, priests. Uh-huh. And the priests, this is what's so crazy, is the way that a mama is created a mama. It's like this. They take the baby, and for the first nine years, the baby is kept in darkness. Wow. What, what, what's the benefits of that? Well, in, this in is their... it. So, so uh-huh. the, the, the kid has absolutely no other sensory thing. and just taught about uh, the world. And then at that point, there is a ceremony, and they take the mamas, uh, the pre-mamas, a little kids out and they choose which ones kind of stay in there and, and which don't according to certain things and the ones who stay they go in for like another nine years or something or eight years so you've got a person who from birth has been kept in darkness until they're 15 years old amazing they're taught um a lot of different things but what they have is a lot of um uh, what you might call psychic st- skills these, these mm. days, um, things like clairvoyance, the ability mm-hmm. to travel beyond their body, etc. Et and mm. these become the ruling class of that of that group, and they teach people to live in harmony with the earth. And they listen to the planet, and they listen to the animals, and they they have awareness of of energy centers and connections, all of which is like resonating with, you know, Taoist traditions and other indigenous traditions that are looking at how the earth and the, and we fit within the ecosystem rather than the Mm. ecosystem. So fascinating culture. And uh, they were almost like dreamers, right? So they kind of, they, they can, they can visit and transcend boundaries in order to see what was going on and they saw that the world was being destroyed despite never having traveled to the world and so they came out to warn everyone and this is called the warning of uh the elder elder brother or something like that and there's a book about it the kogis so incredible story i thought okay what's the secret so so i thought okay i need to do this i need to go into darkness and um as part of my own kind of spiritual journey i guess and uh, I was able to sign up for a facilitated one. So yep. it was in the UK. And yep. they took care of the food, for instance. I was given food <clears throat> um, in front of me. Couldn't see it, but mm-hmm. uh, it was delicious. And <laughs> um, they facilitated certain participatory engagements so things like three of the five days were silence uh, a lot of time in meditation some time was done on uh like you just had to know which way to walk so what how big was the space that you was in um well it was everything from inside a building to uh outside in, in acres and acres of land okay so some of the experiments experiments some of the practices were that you needed to just know which way to go when you yeah which is like this intuition thing right it's Mm. like where does it come from and it's separate from your senses Mm -hmm. um but you know i i had some pretty profound 
experiences um, and I really liked it. This is the thing. Um, it really suited my mind to be in the darkness and I felt completely comfortable um, and completely at peace. And I felt my body relax to a state where it was almost like, um, you know, those times after you come out of, I don't know, hot, hot bath or you've just had a, someone's given you a relaxing massage or you're, yeah. you're just so like defenseless and relaxed and weak, you know, you're just like, oh, <laughs> I could, you know, lie down and fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. the body went into this state of, of that submission to mm. what's happening and it actually was very healing for me mm. did, um, did it did it did it uh you know did you ever get any periods where you had struggles that you had to overcome uh within that uh dark meditation i didn't i didn't um other people did Mm. Um, that's their journeys to tell you know in that circumstance it just felt right for me which is brings me back to uh some sort of recognition that i you know i i feel like i've been engaging in a contemplative practice now for a very long time yeah so um you know there there were things like um visuals right mm -hmm. um there were visions of sorts there were epiphanies that came to me um but you know for the majority of it i literally was just like this is wonderful i feel at home i feel balanced um there's nothing to worry about and uh i feel like i could do this for a long time wow it's a kind of kind of tradition i think in south america and in certain places to do it yep. for up to 30 days. Um, if, you did for five, if you did it for 30 days, I mean, <laughs> if you said you did it for five days and got that relaxation. What would you think would happen if you did it for 30 days? So it's really important, yeah, to... So what happens is um, the body produces DMT. Yeah. Na obviously, which na is, naturally. Which is known as the uh, spirit mo molecule. Yeah. And the enzyme or the, uh, uh, the inhibitor which breaks down the DMT is produced through um, synthesizing vitamin D, sunlight. So when you take away sunlight from the skin or from hitting your pineal gland in between your eyes or from yeah. being exposed to sun at all in the retina, uh -huh. um, the DMT starts to be released in your body after about the fourth, fifth day. And um, there's no enzyme that's removing it from the system. Uh, I see. So what happens is that you start to trip um, the equivalent. Now, I haven't taken DMT and I haven't done this for such a long time so i'm not exactly sure but this is what i've um got on account and learned is that it starts to take you about three to four days of no sleep just visions so it's a very long journey at that point and wow. it keeps going uh for something like five days i've heard someone say it took a week 
or someone else say, well, they came and got, went over two weeks. So again, without sleeping, long, without sleeping. Well, yeah, sleep starts to kind of become irrelevant because um, mm. you're you're on the God molecule, the spirit molecule mm. that's going through your body. Mm. Um, and uh, things like you know. Um, there was an account of someone's teacher appearing in front of them. And this is like a kind of meditation teacher, not like a school teacher. Right? Yeah, of course, of course. Teaching, arriving, you know, as a big face in front of them and just stayed there. Doesn't matter if they blinked, moved the head, nothing, just there the whole time. So it becomes very real. And wow. uh, that lasted, I think, for them something like eight hours. And then it turned up again three days later and it was just you know it's like an imprint that's on the mind that's that's permanently kind of there and you can't get rid of it stuff so it's stuff that you have to kind of what they say integrate um so the preparation for going that deep is usually vipassana that's the that's the the traditional one in in the east and so vipassana is insight meditation and it's a way of basically getting to a point where you dissolve the solidity of your body and you realize your innate consciousness. And yeah. this prevents you from being kind of trapped in both the physical state, but also being affected by things that might scare or disturb the physical state. Uh, and uh, and things, the, like, things like that would help with anxiety and depression. Is this is this is these the things that you I mean anxiety depression that's you know that's yeah but that would be things like insight mindfulness you know do that for a couple of weeks a month etc and you'll start to change those patterns here I'm talking about someone who does vipassana two hours a day mm. for a year minimum okay yeah and by the time they've done that they're just maybe getting ready to get into the dark retreat really yeah so it's a massive process it's not nothing something you can't you can't say okay this week i'm going to do it you have to there's work and you can just jump into it there's a guy called traver bum who's just come Mm. out of the states who apparently just went and did a 30 day now he uh 30 day dark retreat he he recounted the fact that basically it just completely broke him at times so you know there's a difference you can either go in and just completely kind of get ground down to the point where you're just he, he said he wanted to see if he actually went mad <laughs> now <laughs> again sounded like he did well yeah i mean madness again and, and the, you know these are all just different alternative states of reality right mm. so like for instance sometimes in china i thought i was going mad because i had no reference point of where i was with the language or the scenario or the situation yeah so it's similar when you have such disorientation and 30 days can take you to the very soul, the very essence of your soul and the pit of it, you know, and if you're not ready to face that, then it can break you, you know, and there's a reality, which is you, you really better go in either prepared or as they said, as they say, like, uh, the brave are foolish, you know? Yeah. You I mean, better go in very foolish. <laughs> yeah. Cause a lot, a lot will happen, and a lot, you know, even if you was the person who maybe, you know, was you was completely strong and solid in yourself, something yeah. like that, something like I that can still break he, you. I think he said something like he cried more than he did in any other time for like twenty years, and he cried to mm. himself. 
for like days, three days or something. So yeah, that's mm. the kind of thing that can happen. You know, you literally because it, what it will do is take away all the barriers. Yeah. So some people need that, and it's a, it's a therapy. But I, you know, I've done a bit of that in my life where I've really gone to edges, and I don't. I want to get as much out of it. So I am putting in the preparation. I'm not going to just jump in. Although I do feel like if I did jump in, I would, would still be okay. Like I'd get through it. I know that now. Like I wouldn't, yeah. if someone, if I suddenly got, oh, Joe, you have to go into dark retreat for 30 days. Right now, I'd be like, okay. But that's because you've, you've you've done so much prep work in, in terms of your life where yeah. you you have dealt with so many different scenarios and different, different levels of tension and, and you know, unknown quantities and etc cetera, etc cetera, where you could you, you might deal with something there you might not but the fact remains that you know you can handle it and you know you can because you've, you've done prep work to it where I, I someone else I, I hope i could handle it that's yeah the, hope yeah yeah hope but I someone have, else I have the sense i could yeah yeah someone else may not have the confidence or the belief um but still may may have the strength but they haven't done you know the prep work in terms of their life and go into mm-hmm. something and be completely obliterated destroyed by it and um yeah, yeah. better right <laughs> <laughs> but you know some the way i see it so at the same time i i do believe sometimes it, it can you know this guy that you said that did it for 30 days and you know i think yeah he might feel you know completely destroyed at, after doing it but you know maybe in six months time he'll look back and think that was the best thing that happened to me because I've oh got, yeah yeah he's know. definitely said something along those lines you know the thing is though the reason i suggest that prep is because it's it's a spiritual experience right mm. there's you you're going in there with nothing there's no you're not taking anything you're not drinking anything there's nothing every single thing that happens is because of yourself your body yeah. your your yeah. own energies your own enzymes that yeah. stuff that's inside you already right so it's deeply deeply moving because it's just you it's about mm. as real as it gets mm. um and in that circumstance you know let's call it a spiritual experience okay yeah so it's like birth or death or you know there, there is a spirituality to it and some ways mm. it's a type of rebirth in, mm. in the taoist cultures they they see it as a rebirth so you become okay. rebirth after two weeks okay um but um you know aside from it being a spiritual experience it's it's like okay you can have a spiritual experience and it can kind of go over your head right <laughs> yeah but what if you're ready for it what if mm. you get the most out of it you know mm. how do you how do you harness that experience and it's the same as being like you know you could be along in a kind of i guess in a kind of uh like a joyride of stuff or you could be the person who's kind of choosing where where the where the vehicle goes you know but what about you know the concept of um, allowing the journey, uh, letting go of the um, the control and letting go of the you know just allowing a higher power or your power, whatever you want to call it, um, to, to 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 allow things to happen, um, you know, because there can be times where yeah, you like you said with, with the the um, example of the the joyrider, um, there can there can be times that in that unknown quantity in that joy riding in that don't know where i'm going don't know what i'm doing type thing you can actually learn the most whereas in in a controlled way or if you're trying to okay this is what i'm trying to gain this is what i'm trying to experience where where because you're so because you're so focused on the outcome or 
sometimes you can miss other things that may occur in that experience if you know if you know what i'm trying to say yeah i think that you know the reality is that this is like a there's an ancient tradition around this stuff right mm. so there is a methodology for how you can drive the car of yourself yeah if you're not utilizing that basic practice you end up you know having a crash or you could have all kinds of things happen so for instance i know that there's some experiences where the energy is rising from um, the lower base of the spine into the top of the mind, something that yeah. in India is called the kind of Kundalini awakening. But this is something that yeah. can catalyze this, this um, dark mentation. Yeah. So if you're not ready for that or you haven't had it happen yet, um, it will rise. And that's the time where you can end up in a psych ward because you don't know how to manage it or stop it. Whereas, you know, if you're being guided, the, the guide would say, well, all you got to do is bite your bottom lip, stick your tongue to the top of your mouth and hum mm, like that. And mm. that frequency will stop it feeling like your head is exploding. Mm. So this is the thing is, these are these are deep spiritual techniques, which are very, very powerful, which is also mm. why it's like this stuff isn't sh isn't and shouldn't just be taught to anyone. You know, it's yeah. really there are a lot of practices out there which are technologies, they're human technologies, and they're not they're not for everyone. You know, mm -hmm. and that, or yeah. if they are, then you should do the prep work. Yeah, and I think yeah. that there's a kind of reckless abandon that people think, well, you know, because I'm, and it, it comes down from this kind of sociocratic, individualized uh, rights thing, whereby someone says, well, because I'm me, I know what's best for me, and mm -hmm. um, that just doesn't translate with certain, let's say, um, yeah, like contemplative practices, which really do need a teacher. Yeah, you know, tantra is one of them. In, in the West. And it's just like, there's so many people messing on with something that they don't understand and mm -hmm. hasn't really been taught accurately. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's very important to keep, you know, as much discipline and, and rigor around these practices as possible in order to prevent yourself from, you know, actually going crazy or in the very least of getting the most out of it that you can, you know? Um, yeah. It's not like no. I want to spend the rest of my life in darkness. So when I do spend it, I want to make sure that that time is like, you know, really get the most out of it. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, well, talk about your, I mean, we went, you know, your CBD journey. And obviously that's, you know, in a way that's kind of similar to what we're talking about now mm -hmm. um, at, at, in a sense of what it does for you, what it does for your body. How did you get into that, you know, um, and how long, um, when, when did you start? Because literally, I live in Camden and I know you opened the CD shop, a CBD shop. Literally, I can nearly about see it from my, from my apartment. Um, but I'm sure you must have done things or been, you was in America maybe at one point and came across it there. So uh, how, how did that start? Yeah. Um, so I was in America and I went to a... Um, I think cannabis investors summit at some point in San Francisco, because it was so, mm. again, it's in like a new industry. It's very dramatic that you have a, a commodity coming out of prohibition, which literally has 45,000 uses of hemp, you know, yeah. um, let alone it's medicinal uses or uses for health and wellness. Um, mm. It's just unprecedented. It's probably the biggest agricultural product shift that we're going to see in our lifetimes. Really? I would expect so, unless they start to really go into kind of 
bioengineering, especially around algae, that might that might shift things significantly. Mm. Mm. But you know, cannabis is huge, and it has been huge for six thousand years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just for the last yeah. hundred, that they kind of banned it globally, when mm. there's very little evidence for the for the for the why that was a good idea. Mm. Um, so when I was in America, we had CBD products, right? And these are non-psychoactive. Well, they, they kind of are psychoactive. They're not psychotropical. They're not. They're not something which will make you get high. Um, mm. But in the sense that they do change the mind, they are technically psychoactive. But um, yeah. they're, they're, I just think they're healthy products, really. They're stuff mm. that doesn't make anyone sick. They're not dangerous, but they kind of help anxiety. And they, they work with endocannabinoid system in the body. So they help you. They're a bit like a vitamin, I would say. You know, okay. That's my, my view on it. Mm. Um, and uh, these products, is I was like, do you sell this in UK? And they're like, no. And I'm like, that's weird because the laws just change and you know you could but no one is so mm. i started to get a picture that there's actually a huge kind of gap in the uk and wow. um it came to a situation that then my dad um he was sick with prostate cancer yeah and i wanted to get him i wanted to get him kind of natural healing medicines one of which was uh cbd it really helps for him um and proved to be very effective especially around pain management for him later on his, in his life um yeah. and i couldn't find anyone that was decent didn't have any uh it was almost like i was always getting like a different you know, batch of dark green oil, and I was like, "Well, what is this?" And there'd be no label, or, you know, a dodgy label, mm. or, or it'd be inconsistent. So the next time there'd be a different type of product, you know. And I was just like, "This is just not good enough. I don't know yeah. what I'm giving my dad. Mm. This isn't a professional product, and yet it's a legal one. So why on earth is there, you know? And and it's huge. This is a huge, you know, culture shifting product. You know, it comes from the sativa L plant, which is the same one that people have taken photos of and put on flags and t-shirts so that you know this since since t-shirts were invented <laughs> it's just like this is like you know what's going on here yeah and i had this conversation with a friend of mine uh one night who owned a shop and we just said okay let's open a shop that sells them sells these products so we shook hands and we just went for it um and i did it in my spare time because i was already doing a load of work for government and large companies at that time. This is 2017, 18. Okay. And, uh, but we pop, we got a, a pop-up shop within, I think of six weeks, eight weeks. Oh, wow. My colleagues great. from um, my company were able to set up quickly. Did you, did you get the products from America, I'm imagining? Yeah, we had to source products at that point. We, we sourced them from UK and we sourced them from America. Mm. Um, UK ones weren't very good. There may be like 25 brands out there. Four of them might have been okay. Um, a lot of Wild West stuff going on. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, faking uh, lab reports. Oh, really? And we just, at that point, it was just like, no, we need to make our own products. We end up, you know, I spent, I went around all the, production facilities i went to america i checked out everything checked out the entire supply chain finally found a very high grade i'd say one of the best in the world um 
sources. Then we work with them to develop the products. So they were unique to the UK market. Da, da, da. And um, it kicked off, you know, like we had a lot of attention for pretty much 2018. We had like nearly every single major newspaper cover what we were doing. Um, and it helped thousands and thousands of people. And we took lots of data on like, why are you using it? People come back saying, well, you know, this has cured my insomnia or now I don't have pain from my fibromyalgia or this is uh, stopped me from being depressed and all kinds of things. Like a, a musician said it helps with their stage fright. So mm-hmm. it was just like this pantheon of different reasons that people were taking them. And we collected about 750 people's evidence of this and that was before there was any any evidence on the market of like what is happening here in the uk so we were very at the beginning of the kind of knowledge war here about hold on this is this is something that works and helps people mm. so you're and, like you're, you're like the cd cbd pioneer of the uk really, right? you yeah one of them one of them mm. yeah 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 um and we did the first like massage oils and we did all kinds of like unique things that hadn't really been done before and just started to kind of celebrate that culture and share that and and ultimately get very high quality products of people that worked you know and and that was the main thing and like I was so glad (coughs) to be able to do that for my dad um yeah yeah and you know the journey has been quite quite a long one we had someone pretending that they owned the trademark that went to court and they lost we Uh um had you know people try and rob the shop we had gangsters tell us we had to sign up for their services or else uh, what? no thank you um we've had ex superintendent policemen coming by there we've had you know doctors who source it we've had it put on planes to fly to royalty we've had um you know people are suffering every day literally tell us that it changed their life and that they can now go about their day they can get their life back um we've done trials with the ex veterans from the special forces in the uk we've um you know worked with um quite a lot of incredible people to try and get this product into the hands of people who need it um and Obviously, there's been a huge impact to the pandemic. We had to close the shop, after, mm. you know, forced to close by the government. And in the end, it was like, well, we've got to close shop for a year. We actually don't need a shop anymore. Yeah. So we've gone online. Um, there, My dad passed away, which is a whole other thing. Um, yeah. That happened last year. Sorry, and sorry to hear that. Quite strongly. Sorry to um, hear that. But that also meant that, you know, I kind of was like, well, this is why I started it in the first place. And that's now changed. So I suddenly lost the sense of identity to, of the company with my yeah. own volition. Yeah. yeah. So now it's really about setting it up in order for other people to run it and to manage it and to, to do it for their journey, you know, and it's something mm-hmm. I need to pass on. Um, so we're, we're right now we're working primarily with what's called first responders. So uh, police, ambulance, uh, rescue workers, paramedics, uh, veterans, etc. But anyone who's really experiencing trauma in their lives, uh, we offer them a huge discount if they need it for um, themselves. We um, are setting up a research trial with people from all different first responder groups, and we've just set up an amazing advisory board who got some of the world's experts on cannabis and um 
it's just quite a powerful journey. <laughs> that, that, that sounds huge. It sounds like yeah. it's gone to well, everyone's, times 10. Everyone's got CBD brands. They're looking, you know, oh, how can I reduce the anxiety of a, uh, mm. a middle-class lady who lives in Belsize Park? You know, because yeah. they happen to fit into my sock demographic. And yeah. uh, if I make enough sales in that, then the company will be worth X. And then, you know, it's like this crazy entrepreneur idea that, you know, and now there's like a thousand brands in the UK. Yeah. So it started at like 25, you know, now there's a thousand. Mm. I think there was just a, a Novel Foods Act passed, which means that now, right now, everyone has to be compliant. We are. Um, but, you know, only out of that thousand, only 700 applied. And yeah. I reckon half of those will fail. So you're looking yeah. at like an entire shift of the industry in the UK. A lot of them will be illegal shortly. Um, and that's a big shift. But it also, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it was people jumping on the bandwagon, right? Trying to find gold, right? Of and course, it's like of course. Classic, why, are you, why are you doing this? That's the most important question to ask. Exactly. Intention. exactly. So for us, it's like we need to be at the place that really helps people at the front end, the coal face of society. And right now, that's people who have been physically, emotionally um, damaged, hurt, trauma that's mm. gone through their lives. You know, that's that's why that that's why LDN exists. You know, we mm. exist in order to basically provide that service that we can securely and safely get you something that helps your trauma. That's it. Um, so we're looking for. We know we're in discussion right now with. Um, very large official groups that represent um, some of those first responders, which are, yep. you know, UK-based institutions, and mm -hmm. really looking at how we can um, how we can scale it in a way which can really help everyone who's really like you know just come out of a, a operating theatre after twenty hours, right, and can't yep. sleep. Yeah, a policeman who's just done a, a shift where there was a lot of violence because people were yeah. in on the street of Newcastle, and they've just watched you know three four people bottled. They've you know been there's been group fights and they come off the come off the shift and it's a policeman and they're like they cannot sleep and they mm. start next morning you know and if they don't sleep they're going to be groggy going to feel crap yeah. next day they're probably not going to be in a good mood you know yeah. like let alone all the different incidences of uh, societal trauma, which is caused by anyone who's gone through things like PTSD or damage, you know, how do they then knock on and affect the people around them? The, the, you know, is there's huge synergies with things like domestic violence. And, yeah. you know, so it's when people are damaged, abused, they end up often abusing others indirectly or directly. Yeah, so exactly. how do we use a medicine and a plant, which a plant medicine, which which has come out of prohibition finally, we can say, well, look, let's ignore the stigma. Let's really look at the evidence here and scientific evidence. How does this help people? You know, how does it change their lives? If and it, are there any negative side effects? You know, and I think we've got mm. to the point where it's like it's pretty clear we know what we shouldn't be doing with it. Yeah, and it's pretty clear what we should be doing. So my view is like I'm not really into the whole. I don't know, let's, uh, let's kind of go and um, advocate for a completely open weed society. I, I really just think right now what we need to do is make sure that everyone's fucked up in their body, or messed up in the mind, has a bit, you know, yeah. and literally gets relaxed and healthy and, and healed. Yes. That would change society, like, big time. 
So that's, I, that's uh, current, my current, current thing. <laughs> I, I commend you on that, honestly, I really do, because I didn't know that you're, you're pushing it to that scale. And, that, and that, that's, that's a real changer. That's a real game changer, in my opinion, um, what you're trying to do. Um, you know, this is because I wouldn't even have, you know, someone who's, like you said, kind of operating here who can't sleep. There's nothing, there's nothing there for them except more drugs, you know, which probably is not, you know, medical drugs, you know, that probably is not going to be beneficial for them yeah, um, to you sleep. Prescribe you know. things like tramadol and, and opiates and things that screw up your liver, your gut, yeah. and yeah. make you sick or addicted. Exactly. And that's, that's the key. And, you know, what you're doing is, 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 is amazing. And I commend you for what you're doing. And I just got one last question before we uh, end this podcast. What's your... Yeah, you've done so much, you know, listen, listening to from when you said when you was five selling, saying something on, on you know, in France I was on the road. To, to now you're, you know, CBD, which is like, it's just an amazing, amazing journey that you have. And um, I'm sure there's so much more I, I, that I know we haven't talked about, but, um, you know, what, what now, what's next for you and what's, what, what, what's next? What's your goal? What's your next thing that you want to do? Yeah, I, I, I feel like I understand the journey of my own, what it requires for m- myself to be successful, right? Which yeah. is, again, what I think is, is building each day on my own aptitude, awareness, consciousness, and ability. So mm-hmm. if I can hone those things, I can be a better person, right? Mm-hmm. And there's times before which I just let them slip. I was like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, drink wine and eat really, you know, and forget and not really even be thinking about the words I was using or how I was thinking, even what thoughts were going through my mind, you know? Yeah. And it's like, just to really be on point with that, you know, being conscious of what your kind of patterns of thought and patterns mm. of actions are. Um, mm. And it's allowed me to see a form of liberation somehow from myself if that yes. makes sense. Yes. And it's and it's brought me to a point where I feel, don't feel trapped by work. I don't feel trapped by very much at all. You know, I feel incredibly free to choose and adapt and grow and a, a strong confidence there. And it's, you know, there's a lot of doubt and there's a lot of been a lot of pain and suffering and also, you know, going off the track um, mm-hmm. in my journey. And, and that's kind of led me back into myself more deeply. Mm-hmm. luckily um and the process now for me is really to open open out that journey so that i can then invite new things and it, it, i i had something similar last two weeks where someone was like well what do you want and i was like you know what i'm i'm gonna go with the flow i'm just gonna be completely present with it yes and i've had phone calls i've had meetings i've had all kinds of people offering me business opportunities in the last two weeks probably about six of them some of them wow. are huge wow um so i don't know how all that will pan out but i just feel like it's a state i'm in a state of resonance and vibration now which is like hey universe i'm ready again give me something big and i'll get my teeth into it and try and do my very best and <laughs> i will help people like that's what i'm here to do so that, that sounds great yeah, and it's like like in the last two weeks, I had two people contact me and say, you know, do you mentor? And I was like, right now, I'm like, I mentor at Cambridge University, but I don't do mm-hmm. private mentorship. But then I sat back and I thought, you know, what? I could mentor two people. I could mentor more. 
and mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And what they were both saying, we'll pay you. And I was like, okay, well, I've never had this before, you know. Mm. Um, but so you, I mean, you like, have such you have you you have such vast experience, really. Honestly, I mean, I'm surprised. You know, you you, you haven't you you don't mentor individual levels because you, you know your experience and things you know and understand is. It, it, it's, it's beyond most people's lifetime you know so it's it's um it's really uh, it's really something that you know if you if you think about it, i think definitely you should because you just sound like you would be a natural because you know I, i'm just sitting here listening to you i you know normally in most of my podcasts i'm talking but i list i'm literally just listening because i'm learning and understanding so much from you so mm. definitely you should consider it no doubt thank you well, I, yeah, I mean, I said back to them, I said, okay, let's see, see how this goes, you know? Mm. Um, so it's, I think, you know, if you have, if there's someone listening here who's at a point in their life, they're thinking, what should I do next? If they're at a point in their life, they go, I know what I'm doing, you know, but, but how do I grow from this? How do I leverage it? How do I become stronger at it? Yeah. If you're setting up a business, if you have a business, if you're already successful, if you're not successful, you have that question, that burning thing in your mind, which is like, I have something to give to this world and I haven't yet nailed it. Yeah. I think that's what I could help with. You know, mm. I think that that's, that's the kind of deep, it has to be that deep and it has to be a big ass challenge, but that's the kind of thing that I could probably help with. Wow. Yeah? So that's probably your next, I mean, I'm not, I don't know, but it sounds like that's your next sector of of your life yeah potentially yeah i mean i i just started teaching meditation on mondays at 12 o'clock with um, yeah. the hello beautiful foundation which is a ch cancer charity they're mm -hmm. doing fantastic work and i do it for free um yeah. so anyone can join that at 12 o'clock uh and i you know i've been learning meditation or doing med i've been meditating for about 30 years so i'm very careful with the things i say yes, I know about this, or yes, or no, I don't, you know, and it takes me a while to, to accept, and meditation, I really wouldn't teach until very recently, but I think everything has a point where it matures, you know, it's like all plants in the garden, and all nature, they, they come to a point where they're ready, they're ready to either mm. pollinate, or to replicate, or to bloom, mm. or to give the world their, their abundance in life, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, and it, I feel like, to be honest, that's the place I'm starting to really be in. It's like, mm. okay, now I can come from a stable place. I'm yeah. not, not a sapling anymore. I can grow and I can create the shade for others. And these kind of basic stuff that's in line with how nature works, you know? Yes. We all have different, we have different times in our lives that that happens. Exactly, know? exactly. It's all, part, it's all part of the plan, really. And nature, like you said, it's in line with nature, which is spot on what you're saying spot on um i want to thank you again joe for being here and um giving me your time once again um where can, where can we find you um on what just tell, tell tell the viewers where we can find you yeah so um uh you can check out my website which is out of date but uh, it has a way to contact me so it's uh joe j-o-e-t oliver.com and if you want to email me, just put joe at joetoliver.com. Um, LinkedIn, Joseph Tenzin Oliver. Um, yeah, these are good places to find me. Uh, and yeah, a lot of things I do, but don't put my name to it and don't kind of attach myself to it. So 
it's if you want to talk to me directly better just to to find yeah so I've, I've, not, I've noticed you're quite like you're not I mean, all the experience you have, you're, you're very humble and you wouldn't, you would, like if I saw, like I've seen you on Instagram and things like that, you, 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 you wouldn't imagine that you have this vast knowledge and experience, just, you know, because you don't, you seem very humble with it and you're not really a showy type of person. That's how it looks like. So that, you know, um, you wouldn't come across like that, but you, you have so much. It's just unbelievable, really. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I guess it's a question of, uh, what needs to be communicated right yeah so yeah. if someone says to me oh can you do this large property development of crazy innovative something factory inventing the future mm. then i put put a appropriate uh case study cv together right there if someone go. says can you help me with uh, my life direction i'm a bit confused about which career they don't need this information <laughs> <laughs> you know so we it's it's important not to always show off everything because i think at that point almost like the message is lost and you become something that you're not you know i am mm. i'm yeah maybe i have done a lot and maybe i've found some success in that but i'm also incredibly vulnerable independent uh you know humble person as well at the same time you know mm, so mm. i can get on stage and talk to thousands of people or i can feel embarrassed in talking to one <laughs> yeah 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 and that's the beauty of it I get, that's the beauty human. of life it's the beauty of human exactly exactly but joe i want to thank you for being here i appreciate your time and your and, and your knowledge and your experience and your energy because you do have a great energy and um it's great to talk to you and i, I definitely in sometime in the future i definitely want to talk to you again there's no doubt about it well thank you for, so much for thinking of me and inviting me here no problem